Welcome to In the Isles, a movie and TV podcast. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week, we're talking about what we've been watching. We'll discuss some real news. And at last, for our main review, we'll talk about The Boys, season two. Only a month too late. Very off-trend, even more off-trend than usual, but better late than never. Exactly. And maybe we will bring more viewers into the boys' fold because that's what it needs at the minute is is more people paying attention to this absolutely fantastic show. Spoilers. Yep, yep. So I'm looking forward to that discussion. Before we do that, an apology for last week's show. I referenced the sad passing away of legendary actor Sean Connery. And after recording that, I listened to a fellow podcast comment on the news as well and found it such a heartfelt tribute that I immediately felt awful about my flippant manner in which I described his death. And there was a bit of bit of piss taking here and there, some awful impressions of his accent. And I feel like it may have been perceived as ever so slightly disrespectful. So Mr. Sean Connery, I do apologize and I'm sure that James echoes those sentiments too, because neither of us believe death should be treated lightly. So, yes, sorry on that front. James, what's been going on in your personal life? Don't get too personal. There's something that I've been hesitant to discuss, but I think now is the time to bring it up. We went to the beach a while ago, and when we were leaving, as I was getting in the car, there was a pigeon right next to my car and next to the curb because my car was next to the curb and it wasn't flying away it wasn't moving and i directed my passenger seat filler female <laughs> to this pigeon and it was apparent that something was wrong it looked like it was you know injured it was not flying away it wasn't reacting so we rang around found the location of an emergency vet looked up the guidance online went into the sports center that is next to this beach Got a box from them. And he said, how big of a box do you want? I said, big enough to fit a pigeon in. So we put some holes in the box, drove off. The pigeon panicked when it was inside the box, but the advice that we saw online was just put some holes in it so it's ventilated and just get there. Nothing to be done. On the way to the vet, which is about 15, 20 minutes, movement stopped in the box. Didn't want to check on the way there. Stayed optimistic, thought maybe it's just having a rest. It's given up panicking. Arrived at the vet, parked up, pigeon's dead. Sorry, that that's not funny, is it? That's dark. Sorry. And it was just, it was unex, unexpectedly sad because a life, we were trying to save our life and we didn't pull it off. And then I went up to the window and there was other people queuing up with their emergency pet needs because it was on a Sunday evening. So I rang them up and said, I'm outside with my, with my pigeon, but it's dead. So what should I do? And she said, oh, we'll take it in. I waited for 20 minutes and I'm thinking, I've got a dead pigeon in my hand, in the box. I don't want to wait anymore. So I rang them back after 20 minutes and said, look, it's just a dead pigeon in a box. Can I just leave it by the road salt box and you can pick it up like when you're ready? No, no, don't leave it outside. Don't leave it outside. I said, right, right, okay, fine. And then eventually someone came out and I said, I tried when I gave them the box. I tried. I just walked away. And I think some people around me that were waiting with their own living pets, they thought I had a living pet within this box. But then when I handed it over, I think it became obvious to the observers that I actually had a dead bird in this box the whole time and then just walked away and drove off. So, yeah, I think now just feels like the time to, to bring that up. And, and reflect on a life lost. Yeah. It is, life is fragile. Life is fragile. Yeah. So between me and you, that's, we've saved or tried. You failed. No offense. We've, uh, we've saved several animals. Tried. Pigeon and hedgehog. If you want to hear the hedgehog story, don't remember what episode it is. Rinse the back catalogue. <laughs> and it's important to note, James, it's true what they say. A watched pigeon never flies. Not heard that before, but yeah, yeah, that's fine. I think I'm getting that confused. Anyway, what you been watching? I've watched something newer than The Boys on Amazon Prime, Truth Seekers, which is the British comedy series. 
starring Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, or does it star Simon Pegg? It is about an internet installation company, employee Nick Frost and his protégé, played by Samson Kayo. They go around installing internet, but they uncover paranormal activity in Coventry. They do some ghost investigation, Ghostbuster style, and a conspiracy is unraveled. The plot thickens and they become embroiled in a more dramatic paranormal mystery. But it, at heart, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. Now, the trailer for this is Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and the YouTube comments, people saying, oh, Shaun of the Dead guys reunited. Let me tell you, I called it when I saw the trailer. I've seen the whole thing and it is the case that Simon Pegg is hardly in this. In fact, Simon Pegg, for his entire role, he sat in one room for the whole thing. He goes into a field in one episode, but then goes back to his office. His character is in his office for the whole time. So I think what's happened, and it's fine, is that Simon Pegg just did his scenes in this office for one or two days and then checked out, which, you know, is fine. Fair play to him. So it's Nick Frost that's leading it. So lovable. He's brilliant. And his companion, whose character's name is Elton John, he's great as well. There's some very sharp dialogue throughout, some real laugh out loud, quick lines that I won't spoil this time. I won't try and recreate the comedy. Some really lovable, lovable characters that are just played very naturally. You really want to follow them and see what they're up to as they uncover different ghostly mysteries. And something that happens, which I did like, is that it's clear from episode one that, yes, ghosts and paranormal stuff does exist. That's not in doubt. It's not about is paranormal activity real or not. It is, and they will uncover it. Malcolm McDowell's also in it as well. He plays a funny old man. Everyone in it is just very lovable and I'll steal a phrase that you've previously used. It's better than it has any right to be, I think, because my expectations weren't high. But having watched all of it, eight 30-minute episodes, very easy watch, some genuine laughs. The Elton John name has a payoff that did make me laugh out loud and I had to go back and watch it twice. Julian Barrett of Mighty Boosh fame, he's in it as well. Plays it a little bit straight, but he's funny as well. So really enjoyable. I would recommend this strongly and I wasn't expecting to say that one criticism I will say there is a character who's a nerdy character and she says that she tried to watch the Hobbit trilogy in its entirety but she couldn't get past the Minds of Moria now if you're a Lord of the Rings fan you know what I'm going to say Minds of Moria features in the Fellowship of the Ring of the Lord of the Rings trilogy not the Hobbit trilogy so that is a mistake that is a mistake there is a battle outside of Moria in the Hobbit trilogy, but if you're talking Minds of Moria, that's clearly the Fellowship of the Ring, not Hobbit trilogy. Apart from that, it's fine. Valid, valid criticism. Um, is this a joint writing venture between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost? I can't remember. I did look this up and I've forgotten. I don't know either, so I'll look on IMDb. Yes, it's co-created by Nick Frost and Simon Pegg and two more, Nat Saunders and James... Seraph Newich. <laughs> so, yes, plus two more is the short answer to that. Good to know. Sorry, just, just wanted to uh, to find out. I'm glad to hear you say that because I've watched the first episode. I quite enjoyed that, but it was one of the five TV shows that I've started with my partner this week when I've just turned to her halfway through and gone, you're not into this, are you? She's like, nah, nah, not bothered. So we've, we've just like sidelined pretty good tv shows for nothing so i'm gonna watch that on my own thank you thanks for the recommend and the validation be warned though though i think there were only two pieces of music recorded for this series that get reused over and over again what like a score you mean yeah yeah i think there's two pieces of music for the score and that is it one of them just goes something like If you hadn't have told me that, I would probably have never noticed, but now it's going to grey on me, I can tell. I'll, I'll see if I can put up with it. Thanks for that. What else is on thy watch list? Interesting that you would say thy watch list, because I've watched a 
thing that is set in the time of the Greek gods, Blood of Zeus on Netflix. It's been a while since I've spoken of an animation, and here is the time for me to revisit that topic. This is a Netflix original anime series. I question whether anime is the right word because it's not Japanese. That aside, this is about the time of the Greek gods and the little people are going about their business and some demons begin to encroach on the lands of the human beings. And that's the basic plot, really, is this race of demons who have mysterious origins and are superpowered and have grey skin and glowing eyes. They're a big threat to the people. They're going to infect you all and convert you all. And how are you going to defend against this onslaught of demons? And the gods play a role, Zeus and Hera and Hermes, all the big names, they're in there having to make a decision about do they influence what goes on or not? And mm, what has Zeus been up to? Does he have some relation to some of the characters, some of the mortals that are down there on Earth? This, again, was surprisingly good. The relationships I found a bit difficult to get my head round with who's brother, stepbrother, father, uncle, mother, who's allied to who. But what that does mean is that it is quite fast-paced. Information and revelations come quite quick. This is a one-and-done thing. I think there may only be one season of this. So the plot moves really quickly. Allegiances switch. People cross great distances by boat and they go to the fields of the dead or up to Olympus or over to some other place, the graveyard of the giants to find something. There's lots of different locations. They move around so much. There's lots of fun characters, maybe not that memorable, but as animation, the animation is solid. It looks good. Character designs are good. Smooth animation. Voice acting is good. So if you want to find something that's easy to watch, there is animation on Netflix. You know what? I would recommend it. If you're familiar with the God of War video games, it's very much like that, where you have mortal affairs and the gods are interfering. Very much like that. And there's some gory violence. There's some gory violence as well. This is an adult animation. It's aimed at adults. Good stuff. I might watch that with my one-year-old son. Thank you. Yep. Anything else? I want to thank you for recommending Upload to me on Amazon Prime. I also watched that in full, based purely on your recommendation. I said to my wife, Daniel recommended this, so your reputation was on the line, and we really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. The Upload series, of course, the one that is about a virtual world where dead people are uploaded to, and their souls live forever in a virtual dream world. Or is it a dream world? Really good. So thank you for that. Good. Glad you enjoyed it. Doesn't get enough love that. I don't really hear many people talking about Upload. It's kind of been forgotten about, but yeah, no, it's, it's a good show, isn't it? Yeah. And season two was announced earlier this year, I read. So yeah, maybe it will gain more viewers then. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been watching? So first off, I watched two documentaries that have come out in the UK over the last few weeks about a organisation called Nexium that was headed up by a man called Mr. Keith Raniere, uh, which then subsequently turned out to be a sex cult. And the first documentary is The Vow, which is what I'll be concentrating on today, and that is currently available on Now TV through Sky Documentaries. The, the second is Seduced Inside the Nexium Cult, and if you do wish to go and watch that, that's available on Prime. Uh, through the Star Players channel, which you can get a seven-day trial to if you're interested. But even though both are about the same subject matter, Seduced is a singular story of a woman's journey, and I would argue a lot more limited in its coverage of this whole subject. The Vow, which is what I will primarily be talking about today, that tackles it from several different members' viewpoints. And the reason that I recommend The Vow above Seduce is that it takes its time to set up the idea of the organisation as as somewhat revolutionary and inspiring in some ways. And it has a real desire to do good and 
his message is about bettering oneself. It also goes a lot deeper into the inner workings of Nexium than Seduce does. I'll be honest, two episodes into this documentary, I was bought into it. I, I just wanted to join. Sign me up. I think a lot of the theory behind its practices make pretty pretty sound sense. I can see myself being drawn into it. And the fact is, it's brought a lot of positivity and improvement to the lives of the people who have joined. So th this all started through a program called ESP, or the Executive Success Program, if, if you must know. And early on in its existence, they recruited a number of high-profile figures, including numerous people from the Hollywood scene, wealthy individuals, and that quickly made this an appealing group to be part of. It's just a shame that the man behind it had an ulterior sexual motive and manipulated this into serving his sexual desires and ultimately brought down what could have been a very revolutionary organisation. Now, some critics have said that this documentary hammers the point home too much and it, and it covers the same ground a few too many times. Me personally, I don't agree with that. I think it's important to understand the scale of the emotional torture that this inflicts on someone. And that means getting to grips with knowing how they were drawn into this, what the level of involvement was, what things in retrospect, now looking back in light of what they know, what decisions really made sense were some of them controversial did they hurt people without realizing it and i just was fascinated with this whole journey and the the journey itself is an emotional one it's a timeline of of the people involved you see this initial positive inspiring journey of the company growing you then see a few things that throw up red flags where you think that's that's a bit weird and then suddenly things get a little bit dark and you go, hang on, this isn't just weird. This is just not on. This is borderline criminal. Oh no, it is criminal. And then you also get this denial and acceptance stage of the people within realizing that this man that they've come to love and worship is behind a pretty abusive controlling secret society called DOS, which essentially brands the women who are members but this really does capture the extent of, of the mental abuse that these people suffered. And that is a really hard thing to get across because <clears throat> I don't know if you agree, but most documentaries, they seem to concentrate on the leaders and how evil and twisted they are. And this does do that, but it also lets you spend a lot of time with the people who were part of this cult and you get to understand why they joined and, are they just gullible idiots? No, they're not. These are sound-minded people who were drawn into something thinking that they were serving a higher purpose, who were manipulated by an absolute master of the game. And now their entire existence is called into question. The most heartbreaking thing about all this is, as a society, by and large, we're, we're all a little misguided and in search of a purpose. These people just thought that Nexium was it. And it couldn't have come crashing down on them any more than it actually does. Now, I've purposely left out a lot of details about what goes on, but please rest assured that there are a number of revelations along the way and the real depth of this man, Keith Raniere's depravity, is laid bare for everyone to see and you will be absolutely blown away by it. And not in a good way. I do recommend that you don't binge watch this. Drink it in over a number of days or weeks and just settle into the psychology of what this really does to someone. That's what I did and I feel like I've lived through it and I'm not saying that's a pleasant experience, but most importantly, it really makes you think, what would it really be like to have most of your life be a lie and what would that do to your psyche? I really, really encourage people to watch this. I think it's not just a comment on a sex cult. It's not just about that. It's about how fragile people can be and how, as I say, susceptible anyone is to this form of manipulation. 
So I think it's a bit of a stark warning to some people about what you may be getting yourself involved with when it comes to these sorts of organisations. I'm, I'm being kind, calling it an organisation. It is a cult. But anyway, it's eight episodes long. And okay, some people think that that's just a bit too much, especially from critics that I've heard. But I, I was just hooked. That is The Vow on Now TV. And I do urge people, go and watch it. So it deals with people in the cult, but also what happens to them after they've left and recovering. Yes. That sounds like you would need more than a few episodes to deal with what it was like after as well. So, yeah, sounds like you do need more. Eight episodes sounds like enough if it's about rebuilding life after it. Yeah, I think the problem being most people don't care about that. They just want, oh, what's the gory detail around it? Oh, yeah, wasn't that bad. Let's move on. This is more let's get into the emotional psyche of these people and see what happened. What else have you been watching? You watched one of my recommendations, so I watched one of yours without knowing that you'd watch one of mine. I watched Biohackers on your recommendation, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm amped up for season two, so thank you very, very much for that recommend. You're welcome. You're welcome. Solid ending to that that definitely teases for season two cliffhanger as they would say cliffhanger new term that we've taught our audience there (laughs) yeah and i did like about that as well i didn't feel like it was tacked on going oh go on please can we maybe do a season two it it seemed to arrive at the right point in the series i didn't feel forced and i I liked that but uh yeah give it a watch good thank you james for another solid recommendation you're welcome. And lastly, just a final quick shout out to a TV show called Condor. Have you heard of this? Condor as in a property or Condor as in the extinct bird? As in the extinct bird. No, I've not heard of it. It's great. Right, shall we move on? Yep. Real news? Yeah. <laughs> it's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. James, what is going on in the world of news, film, and television? Number one, I had an observation about some news that I saw, which may not be interesting at all. Lashana Lynch, who is in No Time to Die and was also in Captain Marvel, has done an interview with Harper's Bazaar about her role in James Bond. Don't worry. I'm not going to talk about what you think I'm going to talk about. So just calm down. Just, it's just not that kind of podcast. That's not our brand. So she's got an interview in Harper's Bazaar talking about James Bond. And this is for the December issue of the magazine released on November the 5th. She's also got some promotional images on the Nokia mobile phones website. And there's other James Bond related images on the Nokia phones website so if you go on there you can find it on the english international page and some other language pages but not on the english gb page anyway there's stuff out there with lashana lynch for a film that is not coming out until april and i just wonder because the delay from november this year to april was only announced in october did they have that interview and photo shoot with Harper's Bazaar booked in? And they said, look, we can't like move it. We don't have another plan. We don't have anything else to put on the cover. So, yes, it's not out for another five months, but we are going to use your interview and your pictures. And Nokia have said, right, we've got this campaign for James Bond planned to run. We've got nothing else to put on the website. So we have to use the James Bond stuff, even though the film isn't going to come out for another five months. That was my little observation. Granted, I don't know how these things usually work, what the schedule is, but this heavy promotion five months out seems a bit weird. And I think it's because they only delayed James Bond this most recent time in October. I think you might be onto something there, but can I reveal what the biggest revelation of that entire news is to me? Go on. The fact that Nokia is still a company. I didn't even know they were going. 
Yeah, yeah, they do. They're still going. They do smartphones and they do feature phones, which are the, the vintage brick phones that can survive a nuclear holocaust. In other news, this will come as a surprise to some if you are unaware of anything that goes on in the world of news. But Johnny Depp, famed wife beater, without question, <laughs> he is a wife beater, apparently. He has been fired from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the third part. And obviously, this leaves a question in fans' mind. What's going to happen to his character of Grindelwald? Well, fear not, because they've got a like-for-like comparison with Dutch actor. He is Dutch, isn't he? Mads Mikkelsen. Is he Dutch? Don't know. Anyway, looks nothing like him. I've heard how he speaks. Nothing like him, but apparently he will be replacing him in the third instalment as Johnny Depp's career slowly dwindles into obscurity. So there you go. Do you think do you think it's the end of him? Really? Alleged, alleged, alleged. No, this this was proven in a court of law, wasn't it? He he is a wife beater. Allegedly. I don't I don't know. Um yeah, he's I don't think it's it's over. Mel Gibson came back. He did. He did. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. Well, who knows what happened behind closed doors, but you know, talented guy. I quite like Johnny Depp. Despite not despite his indiscretions. If he's done it, I hate the man. But if you're innocent, let's hope that you return to screens in some point at some point in the near future. Just don't make a sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Sound career advice from James there. What about you? Anything else? Christopher Nolan did an interview in the Los Angeles Times that I found via Film Drunk, so thank you, shout out, where he talks about the almost $350 million worldwide gross for Tenet, and he says that he was thrilled and that the wrong conclusions are being drawn from the release and that he wishes that people would look at the positives and look at where it's done well and not compare it to pre-COVID expectations. This film now, I think I've seen other commentators say much more esteemed than us say this film was supposed to save the world, but the results didn't come in and has it killed cinemas? Look, Donald, I mean, Christopher, accept the results, concede. <laughs> it wasn't a success. And Chris has tried to spin it, fair play to him, but I'm not, I'm not sure it's possible. I don't know. I agree with him on the point that, you know, for a film that makes absolutely no sense, it's done rather well, you know. What was it really going to get box office-wise? With the times that we're living in, I think it's more than, I think it's more than he could have hoped for. I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm on his side. I think. Fair enough. And this Los Angeles Times interview, it's to promote a book of of some kind, whatever, whatever they are. And there's a diagram, a hand drawn diagram by Christopher Nolan in the article that I encourage you to look at because it shows how he was attempting to plot out the crossing movement backwards and forwards in time of the different characters. And just looking at this diagram of the plane crash and the arrows and the time and the graph just gives me a headache. Just thinking about thinking about that film gives me quite bad flashbacks. So check out this diagram on the Los Angeles Times article. Will do. In news that no one cares about and nobody asked for, because that's just going to be a recurring segment as well within real news, we're going to tell you something that you just don't want to know. Prison Break, calling all Prison Break fans out there, all 10 of you, a new season. It's not happening. It's not happening. They revived it in 2017. I think that went pretty well because there was talk of dredging it out even further but unfortunately, the star of the show, Wentworth Miller, who is gay, 
has said that he is done with playing straight characters. He no longer wants to play straight characters and will not reprise his role on Prison Break. So there's a few people out there going to be quite upset by that. Me personally, I watched the episode with Holly Valance. I was done. Didn't need to see any more of it. Yeah, not too bothered. Are you upset by this, James, or could you not give a monkey's uncle? I couldn't give a monkey's uncle. Never watched it. Not even the episode with Holly Valance. Changing the character within Prison Break to fit the desires of the actor seems like a way to solve that problem to me. But if that's not an option, fair play to him. Respect to that decision. That's a good point, actually, James, but not knowing the history of Prison Break and that character's progression throughout the show, I wonder how jarring that might be for an audience if he's just been a womanizer throughout the entire thing and then suddenly comes out and says, that's, that's, not, that's not my bag anymore, guys. That's, that's, that's not how my cookie crumbles. Also a good point, but yeah. probably why it's not a good solution and why it's not been done yeah but an option nevertheless there's been even more weird ways of solving things like this in the past such as inserting completely different actors into roles to fulfill that of of condemned wife beaters alleged wife beaters so that's that's also an option anyway main review time hello i'd like to order an opinion Please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. Yes, at last we'll talk about The Boys Season 2 in full. Roger, what happened? My wife's alive. Vought's holding a gap of somewhere. What? We got soup terrorists. And we got no superheroes. Hi! I'm Stormfront. Who? I'm the new girl. Oh, God! Are you messing with us? We are in a war. But we can fight back. With an army of supermen, millions strong. Oh, great. Cool. One, two, three, hit it! She's got a whole army of suits. I need some power! All right, what do we do? You can't just kill everyone. That's exactly what we're gonna do. Previously scheduled to be a bonus episode, a gift to the masses. We've canned that. It's not a bonus episode because guess what? There's naff all out this week. There is nothing. So we've had to just slide in a bonus episode that we wanted to treat you to with a review of The Boys 2. So that's what we're here to discuss today. Yes, let's jump straight into The Boys, the smash hit Amazon original show about what would happen if superheroes were real people. It would be a nightmare. It would be absolutely terrifying and they'll probably be psychopaths because they can do whatever they want, whenever they want. Yep, so this series centres on an alternative reality where the whole institute of superheroes have been commercialised and and monetised, and as you said, what would happen in that world? So we're both fans, I think. We both saw season one, but let's see whether season two stacks up in the grand scheme of things. James, first off, what were your overall impressions of The Boys Season 2? It's still working at a very high level, I think, overall. It still has the humour and the swearing and the head-exploding action, and it all looks great. All the characters are intact from the previous season, and I think that's what makes it so good, is the characters are so lovable, so good to watch. Stormfront... As I said on an earlier episode of the main podcast, she's a great addition. I love Ayakash. She's fantastic in the role. So much good dialogue from her in the first half, at least. It's not a catastrophic drop-off in terms of the story. I don't think the story's as good, but it's still very much worth watching. The plot is a bit all over the place. 
the characters are more spread out doing their own thing without them being in orbit around one objective and that goes for the boys and the seven there is a twist not stormfront the other thing which is earlier on that doesn't have as much of an impact as i thought it would there's also a rivalry set up for homelander that is seemingly dropped motivations for the butcher and the boys flip around a bit but back to positives anytime you see the seven interacting with each other and being on the job and being the brand ambassadors and talking about polling stats and making films that's really funny i really enjoy that seeing them as corporate employees love that and when the boys are being the boys i have such love for those characters that just seeing them interact especially mother's milk and the butcher with their love and hate relationship that's really fun to watch so all the positives from the previous show are carried over but i think the story is less focused and that's my main concern here going forward what did you think of the boys season two i <clears throat> i echo a lot of what you've just said as well uh it's a solid season I don't think it was quite as satisfying as season one, but I think that's because, oh, this is all brand new and, oh, isn't this interesting? And I do think because of that, I preferred season one, but that's not to say I'm not positive on this. It is by far, and I mentioned it in my review last time around, but it is the most graphically violent, gory series on TV, and it has the most uses of the C word I think I've ever heard in one single episode. (laughs) So word of warning there, if you're a bit sensitive to that, it is 100% an adult show. And I struggle to think of anything that I've watched in the last year that had so many disturbing scenes. It is like the best bits of Deadpool on crystal meth, basically. I think that's a good way of describing it. But season two, for the most part, is a continuation of everything the first season set up. You get Billy Butcher searching for his wife and his effort to be reunited with her. Obviously, thought she was dead in the first series, comes to learn at the very end that she's not. And it's also that that ongoing journey to bring Vought down, being the main central plot points. There are things that are thrown into the mix that adds more context to those plot lines, but by and large, it sticks to the same formula. The biggest difference here is that A few characters that were quite dominant in season one are completely sidelined, and that's something I'm not quite sure how I feel about still. They do make up for that with the addition of Stormfront. She is a great character, and she poses like an equal threat to Homelander. And she's such charisma, and I love the journey that you go on with her character and how you feel about her. It's a really interesting journey because you you go from one emotion to another, uh, and that was really good. There is a conscious effort to flesh out the majority of storylines for the the central cast, and I think that's a really hard thing to balance and juggle, but for the most part, I think it does succeed. And specifically, lesser characters in season one, like Kamiko and and Frenchie, are given significant airtime, and I think that is a benefit to the programme. The thing that I love about it is it's such a genre mashup of like real human drama, subverted superhero cliches, body horror, black comedy. And I think given that they're melding all that together, it is quite a wonder that they pull it off and it be such a cohesive experience because it is, it is, it is for the most part. All in all, it is a good season, but I think we're on the same page. I felt that it lost a bit of steam at the midway point. I think I've been impacted by the release schedule and how I've chosen to watch this. So first time around, I think I must have rinsed the first season within a few days, and that's because I was just hooked and I wanted to just get myself up to date and just binge watch as much as possible. But the fact that they staggered this weekly, you couldn't do that. All right, you could have held out and gone, no, I'll watch this when everything's out. But I didn't do that. I was too eager to watch it. And I think that might have subconsciously affected how I feel about the programme. We'll go into it in spoilers. The last three episodes, it really ups the ante and it does get exciting again. Um, But I am left wondering if it has enough steam to sustain a few more seasons that is obviously based on a graphic novel. So hopefully that source material 
will justify that and they have they won't just do a game of thrones and go way past the books and they've covered everything already don't actually know the internet of that but yeah overall i'm very positive on it and i would i would definitely still recommend it to people who haven't seen it yes you've put into words a lot of things there that i was struggling to um, express about the plot let's talk about the release schedule which is the reason why it was review bombed early on, on Metacritic, at least. I think on Rotten Tomatoes as well, which was the three episodes at first and then five more week to week. Economic reasons for doing it are clear. Anything that Amazon says about having it be a better viewing experience is a lie. It's about extending people's subscriptions. So I was affected by it as well. So I watched the three episodes and then it was, what, five weeks before I then binged the remaining five so that had a huge impact on me and that might be partly why partly why i think it didn't have much of a flow because i wasn't flowing with it taking five weeks off i yeah i'm glad that i'm not the only one that thought that because maybe it's giving it a pass when i shouldn't but i i am more or less solely putting that responsibility on me that that i didn't enjoy it as much because of how i consumed it but like you said, I never even considered that, you know, about holding on to subscribers. And that's the reason why they released it um, weekly. But that completely makes sense now. Yeah, because that's the, it's their flagship for Prime Video. I would submit that it is. So Yeah, it is by far um, the most popular show they've released, isn't it? I think this is one of the only shows that has um, gone into the Nielsen ratings I read compared to netflix it's one of the only amazon shows to do that that is an original so quite a landmark series in that way and it's the only show where they have an entire sub series of behind the scenes talk with the cast and crew for every single episode where it's like have you seen that where it's like they have a talk show format thing i was aware of it i've not watched it though I, i watched some of the one to accompany the final episode but it is very much a marketing exercise and nothing of value is actually (laughs) said yeah (laughs) so i didn't bother watching the rest does it not give you a bit more of an insight inside the film things or no they just say it's amazing it's great this is fantastic it was so much fun i really respect everyone that worked on this (laughs) just no sorry go on I was just going to say it's just more of a self-congratulatory watching experience. Oh, aren't we all great for putting this show together? Yeah. They clearly are putting all their eggs into one basket to a degree, Amazon here, because I only found this out leading up to this episode. Did you know that they've got a spin-off series in the works as well? No. Oh, it's a bit too soon, isn't it? That's what I thought, but this has been talked about since the beginning of season one. So apparently they're doing a spin-off based on a college for young superheroes that's created by Vault. And it's described as part college show, part Hunger Games, with the hormonal superheroes putting their powers to the test as they compete for the best contracts in the outside world. So it sounds, and judging by the article that I read, that it is directly a parody of X-Men. But we will see what happens there. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. But but The Boys is already a parody of X-Men and everything else. So I'll wait, I'll wait and see on that one. I'll wait and see. Yeah. So the, there is a lot that goes on in season two, and I think it is very difficult to discuss it without going in to spoiler town. So shall we do that? Or do you have any generic thoughts that you'd like to add around season two? I don't have any more non-spoiler generic thoughts. Happy to move into spoiler-related generic thoughts instead. Bruce Willis, real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. So, as mentioned, there is clearly a lot going on in this season, and we both said it in a roundabout way in our main review. There's a lot of subplots, and some work, some don't. Some serve the main storyline, others are just shoehorned in there. Speaking from my own perspective, I really, really liked the characters of The Deep and air train in season one and there's this whole side plot of the church of the collective and working the way back into the seven and, and gaining the respect to, to be part of the seven again i understand why it was there but it did feel like they were playing second fiddle to the main cast and it was just 
oh, we don't want you to lose these characters that you love. Here you go. Here they are, serving pretty much no purpose. What did you think of that whole subplot? Did it work for you, or are your opinions similar to mine? I did like it to begin with the deep joining a church, which is an obvious parody of a certain church. I thought there was somewhere to go with that, but it dragged on and didn't go anywhere, and it was a strong start with the deeps fins singing to him that was laugh out loud funny put that on the dvd cover (laughs) but they have a redemption arc with the deep but what the deep did in the first season is unforgivable at the best of times we're in the current climate there's no way that that character could have a redemption arc so i wondered where is this going to go and it turned out it didn't go anywhere and the end of the arc is him realizing what i'm not going to get what i want okay well i'm just going to throw everything away go back to the person i originally was and they press the reset button on his character and you wonder what was the point in all of this i think they put themselves in a very difficult position with the deep because i agree what his actions in season one were unforgivable but it is almost as though you are expected to forget that now he's but he's redeemed himself it's fine Forget about it. Forget they near enough rape someone. Oh, he did, actually. Did he rape someone? I don't remember. I don't remember. No. Anyway, creepy guy. Not to be forgiven for that sort of behaviour. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Just to go back to what you said, by the way, with the Church of the Collective mirroring a certain establishment, are you avoiding saying its name because you live in fear of the Church of Scientology or are you just trying to be diplomatic? Uh, I live in fear of the Church of Scientology. <laughs> Whoops, cat's out the bag, I've said it now, never mind. Is there anything similar to that in terms of secondary characters or subplots that didn't work for you? Yeah, I really liked Maeve from the first series and you can see that she's very close to Homelander. They used to have a relationship and her natural arc later in the story, you would hope at some point, is that she will flip and become one of the good guys. That was what I was feeling in season one. And in season two, that's what they did. But it's not that heroic or fun to watch. She's just quite miserable. And I ended up feeling sorry for her in a bad way. Whereas in the first series, I thought she's amazing. She could probably stand up to Homelander, but she's choosing not to. I can't wait for the payoff of her like punching Homelander and revealing she's just as strong as him, which is what you get with Wonder Woman and Superman. But that doesn't happen. The big payoff for the Queen Maeve-Homelander rivalry is the Queen Maeve showing Homelander a video on a phone <laughs> in the final moments of the season. That's the payoff, and that's not good. It wasn't fun. I don't want them to have a huge CG fight either, but she was just quite miserable, and it was a waste of one of my favourite characters from the first season. Yeah, I mean, we'll go into that specific plot development later on but i agree it was a bit anticlimactic wasn't it in terms of her story arc yeah and the stuff with yeah but the the positive of her story arc that wasn't quite sure what was being said was homelander outs her on tv as a gay woman but then he corrects it to bisexual later on because he's just being absolutely awful and that's a really good story for her and all the stuff about Vought and Ashley Barrett, the comms person, trying to make that part of her brand and having her with her girlfriend on screen and saying, oh, could your girlfriend dress more manly because polling shows that we prefer there to be a more feminine and a masculine person in the couple. All that was such a great satire on the media and that is what season one was. And all that subplot with Maeve and her treatment by Vought when she was outed, that was superb television. But it didn't quite reach a satisfying finale. Yeah, agreed. Another character I wasn't sure on was Huey. The inciting incident from the first series was Robin being killed by A-Train. It gets mentioned one or two times, but Huey seemed a bit lost in this series. Yeah, I think he only... He only really has the ongoing will-do-won't-they romance between him and Starlight to make him in any way, shape, or form relevant to this series at all. There's not a lot more going on, is there? No. 
And I, I think out of everyone, this might just be down to me, but I think that Starlight and Huey are probably the most down to earth, lovable characters out of the lot of them. And I was bought into that romance, but it almost annoyed me how much they dragged it on. I knew where it was going to get to at the end, and I just thought, oh, can we not get there quicker? Because I know what's coming. And yeah, it did seem a bit stretched out. And other than that, I agree, he didn't have much going on for him, did he? No. And in the first series, Huey and Starlight, they're the dual protagonists. They're both the new people in their respective teams. But here, everyone's more experienced. So who are we latching on to? It was It was tough with Huey for me. Yeah. So we've we've both been a bit down on it there. But let's let's put the negatives aside because there's a lot of good stuff in season two. One of which we both mentioned in our review, and that is the addition of Stormfront. She is brilliant. I don't think this season would be as strong as it is without her. And what I really loved about this is she acts as like an adversary to Homelander at the beginning. And I think I said to you, on my main review, oh, I'm really interested to see how this power dynamic plays out and they're going to butt heads and it's it's going to be so amazing. But then they just took a completely different direction with it where they actually become allies. And that in itself created quite a lot of memorable moments from like having sex in the middle of the air while beating the living shit out of each other and using the powers on one another to like murdering a helpless, homeless man and then having sex right next to his entrails like there's a lot there's a lot that stands out about that storyline but i'd really enjoyed her backstory of being this murderous nazi superhero who's like over 100 years old and the way that they tied it in with the second world war history and the inception and creation of vote i really really enjoyed that and i thought it works because to be honest that is over the top mental but it didn't feel it it actually felt relevant and true to the story so i thought that was quite good but what what did you think about stormfront i think she was one of the best things as well like i said ayakash was brilliant and the idea that someone can come in and so openly challenge homelander and ignore the existing dynamic of everyone being polite to homelander was so good to watch in those early episodes how ashley the comms person and the rest of the seven they're so shocked about how stormfront is behaving and the way that she questions Vought as well, like when she's given the movie script and she says all the women are poorly written, and when she goes into the interviews where Vought is pushing the all-female group, or the three females in the seven, saying this is so wonderful, but Stormfront just torpedoes it completely in the press conference. It's a subversive character in an already subversive show so that double subversion was so much fun to watch however this might have been because i really like the character so much the whole nazi thing i didn't like because i was so on board with the character that then when she's outed as a nazi i felt like it became more of a insertion of social commentary and i say that because her thing that she's good at is manipulating things on social media and that eventually leads to the radicalization of one man who murders someone in a supermarket because he thinks that he's a super terrorist which was very political to me and i thought the insertion of that social commentary being attached to stormfront compromised my enjoyment of that character does yeah. that make sense? So it, it, was, it wasn't just a villain within the story. That would have been fine if she had a dark past. Even if she was a Nazi, I still could have enjoyed it for the insane twist that it was, that she's 100 years old. But this social commentary seemed to be tacked onto it where it felt like she was an avatar for the politics of the last four years. Yeah, I made a note about the exact same thing. So I think it's episode seven, as you said guy walks into a convenience store shoots the guy in the face because he has been influenced by the celebrity that is is stormfront and she has incited some sort of rage within him where everyone is to be doubted and rogue foreign soups are to be 
murdered and that's exactly what he thinks he's doing and it's a very destructive sort of behavior and, and message but it is just completely left there there's no exploration of it at all and i agree that that felt very shoved in for no real purpose i liked where it was going but then the fact that they didn't develop on it or explore it in any more detail felt a bit like a wasted opportunity and i noticed that as well yeah and they put that scene of this random guy murdering i think he's the owner of this convenience store they put it in at the start to maximize the impact and normally you'd think the opening scene of an episode tells you what it's going to be about but it's forgotten it's forgotten and that's what made me think you've put this in to make a point about online radicalization which is a valid point it's a completely valid point but why is it here in this story and yes boy season one has some satire about our world and in season two there is some high quality satire about the media especially like i've said with Maeve and her sexuality and other things but this felt like a classic beat you over the head insert of a message that didn't link successfully to everything else. Yeah. No, it, it definitely didn't sit well with me that as well. So, And they get into that more on Inside the Boys where they have the cast and crew talking about it and they say what you'd expect them to say about politics and guns. And I'm sure I agree with 99% of what the cast and crew think about the state of the world that we're in but is it making this program any better or not yeah i think by the end it seemed like they were maintaining things as they are the sevens reassembled the boys are reassembled becca butcher's wife who was hardly in it anywhere she dies to give it some impact they reveal compound v to the public and i thought that's what the program's going to be about but that becomes something that's just mentioned Every once in a while, it doesn't affect the work of Vought, which was a big disappointment for me. And this is going to be, for Amazon, something that they want to keep going for years and years. So I don't think we're going to get that many world-changing things happening. And I say that as well because at the end, we introduce a new villain character, a super-powered senator, I think she is. So someone inside the government that's secretly murdering people. She's going to be there in the second, third series. She'll die. The seven will probably remain intact. The boys remain intact. And then season four happens. That's my fear. I'm of a similar mindset. Like I said before, I don't know if the way that it feels like they're going, we have the same challenges that we had in the first season. Again, with Vought still pretty powerful in the people's eyes. They haven't had the... We haven't had the dent within the organisation that I think a lot of these revelations should have had and it does make me think i can't deal with another few seasons of we're trying to bring thought down it can only last so long that was one of the things that i struggle with as well like that the whole conspiracy of compound v should have had more dramatic weight in this when it was revealed to the general public than it did have because it was almost like yeah and moving on but i think there is something to be said in terms of how that rings true so if you think about celebrities today you can get accused of all sorts and all right after the me too movement and several other things maybe things hold a bit more weight but by and large if you have enough money you can escape scandal and you know things return to normal so maybe in that sense it rings true to reality today but at the same time i was hoping for a bit more of an impact with that storyline than we actually had it was a bit disappointing yeah, I think there's something there with that. And I think what you've just said there would have been a better exploration of that idea than what we actually got, because I don't think we got what you've just said there. No, it's just what... brushed over, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, final episode. Don't know how you felt, but again, I've put my concerns about season three on the table. I feel like they wrapped up a lot of unanswered questions in this last episode. I don't feel like there's much to explore. I'm sure I'm wrong. Like I said, we've got graphic novels. There will be things that it can go into. But it tied things up in a pretty nice bow, and I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, they... Yeah, Maeve muzzled Homelander with the video of him killing people on a plane. Stormfront's out of the game. She's obviously alive somewhere, but I don't know what else they can do with her when she's maimed and dead. 
they wrapped it up so nicely that I think the only thing that's left for them to do is follow up with Newman, who is the insider in the government, who is also an assassin. The only option is to build everything around her and around that come up with a lot of subplots for each character. Some of them will be successful, some of them won't. And the interesting development there as well is with this congresswoman who, as you said, is a undisclosed soup. She now has Huey knocking on her door, asking for a job, basically mirroring Starlight's experience where they are now both in a relationship and working for the bad guy. So that is something that I am interested to see how it plays out. But other other than that, I'm quite confused as to where they're going to go with the rest of it. But yeah. I'm tempted to look at what happens in the comics, which I did foolishly do with The Walking Dead. I went and just looked at a Wikipedia summary of all the comics after, I don't know, season three where they're in the prison. But I'll try and resist. Maybe because I'm not that interested. One thing that you just said that I wanted to pick up on. So who knows whether they do anything with Stormfront now. She was obliterated, more or less, by Becca's son. But there's earlier scenes of her and Homelander tearing each other apart and Homelander specifically impacts her with his rays, but she regenerates. So I'm expecting that to just happen. I expect the next season she's going to be fully formed because why wouldn't she be? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Maybe they've kept her and they're going to regrow her limbs and bring her back. But again, like with The Deep, she's an avatar for everything that's wrong with the right wing, it seems. So how can they bring her back as an anti-hero subversive element in the program where they've set her up as the ultimate evil of our world and not the world of the program? I don't know how they bring her back. So this season had to have a fatality. It had to, to hold any real weight. There needed to be a death and... Probably for good reason, because she's not that essential to the cast or the plot. It was Becca, Billy Butcher's wife. What annoyed me about this was, do you know when Stormfront appears and she throws the car hundreds of feet up into the air with both Becca, Mother's Milk and Ryan in the car? I was like, oh my word, she's killed them all. I genuinely thought that is what happened in that moment. And I was so taken aback. I was like, this is unbelievable. Hats off to you for having the balls to do this. Then they all get out of the car and they're fine. And I thought, what? But then they kill her off anyway. I don't know. It, it just didn't feel right to me. that I'd rather actually they all have perished within that moment. But that's not what happened. Did you have a similar experience? Yeah, I thought, oh my God, they've killed her. And you're going to have... Mother's Milk and Becca maimed and Ryan just covered in their maimed bodies. As a subversion, again, of other films, other superhero films, where these human characters get flipped around in a car, but then just walk out and say, as a subversion, look, if the car flipped around this much, everyone would die. Everyone would die, and it's ridiculous that they don't. But they don't do that. They do what everyone else does, and they all live. With Becca dying, I've just realised that in the first series, Butcher's motivation is that his wife is dead and he wants to get revenge. They bring Becca back to life, but kill her for real this time just to reset Butcher's character and say, okay, now she is really dead and now his motivation really is that his wife is dead. Yeah, no, you're right. They have done that. There is a lot of resetting back to what was the initial premise, isn't there? Hmm. I feel like we've been really like lukewarm in what we've said. It seems more like we had problems with it than thought it was a good series, but that that's not honestly how I feel. It's just there were problems with it, but regardless, yeah. I'd still recommend it. Yeah, I feel the same. Overall, it is good. It's impossible not to recommend something that is done at such a high level. And if nothing else, Carl Urban and Anthony Starr are phenomenal in this. It's a shame they don't have more scenes together because they are absolutely superb and there's still some really funny highlights as well and some good violence that's about all we've got time for for this week's episode but fear not we will be back in your ears next week with more recommendations reviews film news all the usual shebang james what are we reviewing next week 
next week in the Isles is going on the rocks in Sophia Coppola's new film on Apple TV Plus, starring Bill Murray and someone else that is not Scarlett Johansson. This is a remake of Lost in Translation, is it not? It looks like it from the poster, but we'll yeah. find out when we watch it. Right. Looking forward to that. And hopefully we don't have completely opposing views. Or may- maybe that'll be interesting listening, because I know that you're quite a fan of Lost in Translation, and I think it's one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> so that's up for debate. We'll see what happens there. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at in the Isles podcast at gmail.com or reach out on Instagram in the Isles podcast. So until next week, goodbye, or as they would say in Lost in Translation, which is set in Japan, goodbye. Oh,